last Sunday morning, towards the end of Romans 3, I mentioned that the majority of the words describing the depth of our sin and depravity as human beings centered not on our actions, not really, not on our, you know, the morality versus immorality, but on our mouths, the words that we speak. The most words in Romans describing our sin in Romans 3 have to do with the way we talk and what we say. This truth from Scripture that the most dangerous thing on the planet really is the human mouth. We're seeing that on a global scale right now as leaders continue to use rhetoric that is probably going to lead to war. And so, But then on the interpersonal level, this probably shouldn't be a surprise. It's corroborated in James tonight. In fact, what James reveals is that the clearest way to tell whether someone is real about their faith, whether or not they're consistent is what they say and how they talk. Even whether or not a person really has the ability to listen. The Bible is that serious about this. James is a letter filled with practical wisdom about the effects our faith will have on our lives. And the mouth is front and center. He's going to come back to it uh, in chapter 3. Everyone, all but, uh, everyone always... We talk a, a lot about good works, right? And the need to talk about good works and do good works and... Let's make sure we spend enough time focusing on the things we have to do or will do if our faith is genuine. But what we think of as good works and what the Bible focuses on, or because what we think of as good works and what the Bible focuses on is often very different. The Word of God by which we were born again has been implanted in us to make our faith in Christ grow so that our lives would be pure and undefiled before God and neighbor. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, thank You for Your Word tonight, for this passage. God, speak to us where we are. Speak to us as Your people, as Your children. May Your Word do what it wants to do tonight by the power of Your Spirit in us. Lord, as it lays us bare, let our hope be in Christ who forgives and who abides and remains even when we stray. And so, Lord, keep us focused on who You are and the promise of Your Word as I preach and as we listen. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Verse 19 of James chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For... The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Back in verse 18, James wrote of how our gracious God has given us new birth in order that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All the commands that follow that, beginning in verse 19, show us that by God's grace... We are actually a part of what Christ is about to complete at His second coming. Because we are in Christ as believers, right? There is a sense in which we already possess the great gifts of the Father of lights. Uh, Paul talked about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. But we're being told in James to basically be what you are. That's really the thrust of James's commands. We're being told to become what we already are in and because of Christ. Since we're a kind of first fruits of this new creation that Jesus started by rising from the dead, we ought to act upon what this Word has done in us. And the reason these things have to be commanded, and they aren't just second nature, is because we still live in our flesh that resists the will of God, wants to reject His Word, because we're in this already not yet tension of the kingdom that has begun when Jesus rose from the dead, but is not yet consummated. Christians live in tension between who we are right now in Christ and what we still are in our flesh that still loves the world and is still selfish. For that reason, we need constantly edified and pulled back to Christ by the Word, this implanted Word that is in us. There's meant to be a resonance when the Word goes out inside of us that we hear and connects and lets us know who God is making us. But as we'll read later, it's the gospel 
the word that creates this sanctified action in a Christian life. It's still not commandments that do that. Commandments don't have any power in them to make you do what they say. The world would be a much more orderly, organized place at worst if a command made you do what the command says. As believers whom God has brought to life in Jesus Christ and have been given His Holy Spirit, however, we may now obey Him because His Word resides in us. Without that, the implanted Word in us, as He'll bring up in a moment, this can't happen. You're forgiven, pardoned, accepted, and righteous. We no longer need to live enslaved to the world, enslaved to our passions. That's a choice we keep making, showing our ongoing need for Christ. And we also don't need to expend our energy trying to get saved. For God has already saved us and commands us to walk in newness of life, which is just like telling a baby to walk. It's natural. That's what's going to happen as you grow. The justified life produces good works because of the gospel, because of the word. The first part of us, this all affects, all this truth about Jesus bringing the new creation when he rises from the dead and bringing it into our world and how we should live in light of this. The first part of us that affects in verse 19 is our mouths. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. As those in whom God's life-giving word has been planted, be like that. What are they like? Well, they're quick to hear and they're slow to speak. Be more ready to listen than to talk. That's the Christian life. Stop and be attentive. That's a call for restraint, isn't it? Because human nature will usually want to react right away. And most of us have learned by now that if we pop off whatever we feel like saying in the moment, it never does any good and just causes more harm and less understanding and more conflict. We want to be right. We want to defend ourselves and justify ourselves. We want to advance our own agenda. So our default nature that's telling us, if you feel like you want to say something, you should say it. That's what we go with. But we've been redeemed. That's the old us, not the spirit. So we're, generally speaking, precisely the opposite of what the Bible says we should be without the Word in us. But the Word is in us now. So listen to people, James says. Could you imagine what just the church would be like if rather than being so quick to have to speak, to have our say, we listened first and tried to understand, at least tried. I imagine most of our conflict in the church comes about because we talk and listen or don't, really, like the Word is not in us. That that's not where our speech is coming from. It's coming from a different place. A willingness to listen and receive what others are saying at least to process it and make sure we've heard them and understood, that shows that we don't think of ourselves as self-sufficient and all-knowing, right? Because we have to listen first. Listening before we speak is for the Christian, the Bible's way, or us living by the way of the Bible, acknowledging that we don't know everything. Being slow to speak is a vital expression of faith in this life quick to hear a vital expression of faith as Christians. We've each one been brought into this new community on the earth called the Church of Jesus Christ. That's not just something you belong to in your community as part of being a good citizen or a good neighbor, right? It doesn't work like that. And unfortunately, many of us only take it that far. I want to be a good person. Part of what I do is I go to church. I'm a God-fearing man. All these kinds of things. Jesus has died for literally the new creation to invade the old. And it starts with the way Christians talk. Because biblical talk, gospel motivated, the implanted word causing my speech and causing me to be slow to listen or slow to speak and quick to listen and all this, that's redeemed. That's the new creation. That's what it's like there. That's what it's like. Restraint of our mouths is crucial as we interact with one another in the church and with those outside so that we might have a good reputation in our community. So whether we're right or wrong, whether we have a good point or not, we are never permitted to talk 
however we please or however we feel in the moment, in particular to the other children of God in the church. I mean, how comfortable would you be with another adult in public correcting your child and being harsh with them? I don't know about you, I wouldn't take that level of disrespect, right? And I, I doubt anybody would be okay with that. You just sit there and watch somebody just give your child a barrage of harsh words. It wouldn't happen. I completely lost my place thinking about how funny that would be. <laughs> I know my kids are laughing because, oh well. So, those in whom the Word of God resides are quick to hear other people and slow to speak to them or at them. That, that's a way of life for believers. That's hard for Americans, isn't it? It is. We, we have every right to speak up, or at least that's how we feel, or that's what we believe. And in, in many cases, I would completely agree with that. You can't silence speech, or you shouldn't, right? It's... But notice there's never such provision in the Word of God for that. The, the, the Word of God never says, listen, at the end of the day as a human being, you have the right to say whatever you want. That, that's not how the Bible teaches Christians to live. And also in Christ, Christians need to remember we are willing to forego our rights for the sake of Christ. Right? So even if we did have that right, we, we don't always take advantage of it. In fact, the more we're like Christ, the less we will, I think. Few things betray someone as biblically illiterate, they don't know the Bible, than one's belief that he or she can speak up about whatever they please, whenever they please, however they please, to whomever they please. Few things show that a person doesn't really know their Bible than that type of personality. I mean, you, you read three pages of this thing, most places and to come away thinking I'm going to say what I want say what I feel you, you, apparently you can't read or something because it's so the Bible's so clear about this our throats are open graves the venom of asps are under our lips and that didn't change when we were born again we were given the spirit something was added to us we still have the same wretched heart we had and the same mouth that speaks what comes out of that heart. Christ has done something to us. The part of us that is flesh will always be the flesh until we are resurrected. So these commands come because we're not putting our faith into practice. That's why the New Testament reads so much like it does. Because we don't put our faith into practice. And we find ways to cover for that in, in the talk of good works. And I'm not trying to belittle good works. I just... I'm hoping that we'll get a biblical picture of what that means when we talk about good works. Again, I think I might have talked about it last Sunday morning. Normally, we mean things that we already do. So you need to read your Bible more, pray more, uh, maybe serve more in the church. And so the, these are good works. And, and those are things that can be glorified to God, but there's more. And most of the more is about this. And so we don't, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about good works. Don't preach to me about that, right? Don't preach to me about the wickedness remaining in my heart. Good works means much more than reading your Bible and praying or giving your offerings. Much more than that. And so, again, if we want to be concerned about good works, then we need to be consistent and bring our mouths under control. And just to give a little bit away, James is going to tell us later in this letter that this command in 119 is impossible to obey. Nobody can. So we need to recognize that when we get there. It is mind-blowing how easily and arrogantly we can disobey the Bible when it comes to our mouths, especially as redeemed people. Again, we will tend to, when we talk about good works, we talk about don't, don't cuss. Okay, that's fine, Just, but also don't be quick to speak. Right? There isn't a lot of talk about that. We tell little kids, I mean, when's the last time, you know, with little kids we, we say, you know, don't cuss, we don't say that word. Do you imagine, to, like, what if we tried to raise them genuinely biblically and said you know what we don't talk like that about people we don't say those kinds of things we don't I, I know that you feel like you want to talk right now but but no you know things the, the biblical way of speaking 
do we know how often God tells us we ought to shut our mouths and in how many different ways He says it in the Bible. Consider just Proverbs 29.20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And one of the most important words in the Proverbs, I don't know the reference, that talks about how the more words increase, the more sin there is. I mean, the, the Bible just couldn't be more clear in this. But we have it in us that we should be able to talk and say what we want. And more damage is done by the mouth than the hands in this world. So every one of us should start with these commands on our knees when we read them. Asking God for mercy and for His Spirit to work in us what we literally cannot produce ourselves. Remember, that's what the commands are doing. When you, when you receive a command, you receive a law in Scripture, act this way, not that way. The first thing that's doing is saying, I'm telling you that because you don't. You have failed. You're currently uh, slow to hear and quick to speak. And you get angry really fast. Stop living like that. Right? And, and we, we may even want to stop. And yet we don't stop. And so we, we have to recognize what is still going on in us, that we live in this tension. That yes, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed, right? I, I'm, I'm in Christ, but I'm still in this world. And there's still this part of me that doesn't want this. And so there's this tension all the time. We just need to be aware of it, how much we need God's mercy the more this text gets under our skin and makes us want to defend ourselves for what we say and how we say it, the more we can understand that we, we don't submit to this. We don't like it when we read it. Well, what about when this? It, it doesn't matter. This is the way the redeemed person ought to live. So you can't add caveats. Well, but if this happened, then no, you, you, there's never, you know what, you should be quick to speak and slow to listen. That You won't read, you won't read that. So... The mouth and our disobedience in verse 19 is shown later to result very clearly in jealousy, quarreling, and dissension in the church. This must have been a major problem in the churches to which James was writing because he is relentless here. Especially when it comes to the way we talk. And, and the church is full of hearers and bereft of doers. So quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to anger. It's amazing. Let's say that's the only verse we knew. I mean, I you, that verse condemns everybody. I mean, if, if you're not all three, you're one of them. I mean, I'm, I, maybe I'm generally fine until you get to slow to anger. Well, I'm out. I'm condemned. I'm unrighteous. And was well before that. But I mean, anger here in James is the fury that indulges self and shows one's own sin quoting there. It's the theory that indulges self and shows one's own sin. So this isn't righteous indignation. It's not justifiable anger that he's talking about here. This is the theory that comes out of a person because their heart is sinful. And it's connected to their words. A person's words will reveal what is in their heart. Jesus says that he's implanted his word in us so that when that's not what's coming out, what is going on inside of us? Verse 20 gives us the rationale for why we ought to be slow to anger. There's a very specific reason. Look at what the text assumes or knows about our human nature. I want you to be slow to anger because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, period. There's no wiggle room there. That's a statement of fact. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God of God. It doesn't. It won't and it can't. Human anger doesn't show God's righteousness. It's astounding how we don't even acknowledge this verses in the Bible because we'll justify our anger whenever we're angry and in whatever we're angry about. And God guarantees when you do that, when we're quick to get angry, regardless of whether it's justifiable, we are not showing God's righteousness. James is teaching that a person's anger does not manifest or carry out the fact that God has credited us with His Son's righteousness through Christ in the Gospel. That's not what is coming out when we're quick to anger. That's a personality trait. That's a way that someone is. 
And so just the ease with which we as Christians think that it's okay to just speak when we want to speak, especially when we're mad and feel we've been wronged or something is happening that's wrong and God is telling us as plain as day, what comes out of that is not my righteousness. I don't know what you think it's doing, but that's not what it's doing. The Bible is crystal clear on this matter. And we, we can try to, you know, well, how quick is quick? I would think that's irrelevant, right? I mean, I, I waited a few minutes before I got mad. Okay, all right, now you're fine. Now your anger shows that God has made you righteous by His Son's righteousness because you waited a minute before you lost your mind, right? We, we, that, that's not what the text is saying. And we know ourselves better than that. We do. James is teaching about how faith without works is dead, which he gets to in chapter 2. Beloved, that has a very specific context. And we're really going to dig that out when we get there. But he isn't talking about all these little boxes of good works that we can check off on a list to know that our faith is real. James is going for the jugular. He's going to make it very hard for anybody to believe they're doing the works that show they have faith. Right? That's what the Bible does so that we stay dependent on Christ. James says, oh, you want to be a righteous person. How do you listen to other people? How do I listen? What kind of listener am I? Why is that relevant? I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't cheat on my spouse. What do you mean what kind of a listener am I? Well, what kind of a listener you are shows whether or not the new creation is alive and well in you. Really? Yes, really, beloved. We're in trouble without Jesus. James would ask, so you think that you're doing the works that show you're a believer? What, what do you mean you go to church at least once a week? Is that, that what, is that what you think shows that a person has faith? How quick and rash are you to speak? How justified do you find yourself in what you say? How quick are you to lose your temper and get angry? These are the things that show evidence of the implanted word, beloved. Anyone can tame their church attendance and Bible reading. Anybody. No man can tame the tongue, James will say. So you need grace to do one, and you don't need grace to do the other. And we live by grace through faith. We need to know what God is saying to us in His Word about our mouths and the danger of failing to listen first. Imagine our marriages if we would just listen before we started talking. Right? And, and every marriage has arguments and conflict. I, I, none of us are floating above the clouds, right? But just imagine how much better it would be if, because, because normally we don't listen. We're building our argument while they're talking. And we're thinking in our head, no, what you just said isn't right. i got to make a point about that when you're done talking. And so they're talking, we're not listening, and so we just talk past each other, at each other. The new creation is better than that. It's peaceful, right? The danger of failing to listen first by resorting to talk too quickly and by rushing to anger shows us that we live in tension with the flesh and the spirit. The old creation versus the new. And we need grace and we need humility. James describes our anger not as something that is justified and produces the proof of God's righteousness being inside of us. He says it's we're filthy, rampant wickedness is what comes out of us in verse 21 when we're the opposite of verse 19. Notice again how closely this echoes Paul's words that are also written to Christians back in Romans 3. What comes out of us naturally, by instinct, is linked to who we are, and that's why it's vile. Right? Words are not neutral. They're coming from an idol-making, self-absorbed heart. And we need to be aware of this even as believers. We're filled with filthiness and rampant wickedness. That's what being quick to anger shows isn't that amazing? That's what being slow to listen actually reveals about a person. You're rotten on the inside. We wouldn't think that. We wouldn't categorize somebody like that. But God does. We, we really need Jesus to be doing the work of obedience for us all the time because we, we're not measuring up. And it, it isn't meant to put you down or send you out if you're upset because you're not a very good Christian. Beloved, Jesus never divided up the classes we're going to need Him. We're going to need Him. 
we are quick to speak and slow to listen and quick to get angry because we're filled with filthiness. We love ourselves. We love justifying how we are. Even if it hurts other people, we don't really care. Right? And Jesus wants all of that gone from His church. All of it. We normally put up with it until it kills us. Right? We normally... Again, there's such a thing in the Bible as excommunication if somebody is sowing discord. We, we, when was the last time a church did that? Right? It's brutal. It's hard. But beloved, God would have us not die. Right? And, and the reason I, you keep hearing me talk like this lately is because all the things the texts are saying about the mouth and what we say. Because we're still flesh, because the word by which God brought us to life lives in us, in tension with our flesh, we have to receive this implanted word with meekness as it is able to save our souls. Isn't that interesting? Beloved, the word of God in the gospel, his word concerning his son in scripture, is not able to save our souls because it teaches us the right way to live and we can obey it. That's not how the word saves our souls. It is able to save our souls because it screams to us of our ongoing sinfulness and therefore our ongoing need, but also the provision of the word that first saved us. We live the Christian life by the power of the gospel. We, we don't live the power of the Christian life cooperating with Jesus because we don't want to. All that, our, our souls will not be saved by the attempts to be better people. Because that pursuit assumes that you can be and you believe that you can be. And this is a danger for us. We ought to know better. We ought to know better. Those are the kinds of beliefs that I can be a better person if I try really hard. That makes us slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger because self-justification is a full-time business. We are never off the clock when we're trying to save ourselves with behavior, ever. All, we do, all you can do is question, and when you're trying really hard to live right and other people don't seem to be taking it as seriously as you, it's annoying because they're happy and you're miserable and you're trying really hard to be godly. Our souls will be saved in verse 21 by the same word that brought us to life in verse 18. We're learning that here in verse 21, that verse 18, that word that brought us to life has been implanted in us, driven deep down. It's not going anywhere. Into, it's, it's been driven deep down into this. And this hates God, doesn't want to do good, doesn't want to understand. The Bible's telling us the truth in Romans 3. We're seeing it again. We're seeing it corroborated by the way the other epistles talk to us about our flesh. And this word has to be received with meekness, he says. In verse 21, meekness here is a posture of the heart that quickly and happily receives God's word rather than fighting against it. We don't shake our fist at God and say, well, well, yeah, but I... It, it, Meekness. Okay. I don't, God, I don't understand. Sometimes it's very hard to hold my tongue to not get angry. But I know that you are holy and I am not. Will you help me? I, I can't do this. I, I can't. Uh, maybe I can do 33% of it. I can maybe keep from, uh, maybe I can be a better listener. But Jesus didn't come and die simply so you and I would be better listeners. Again, Dr. Phil can teach you how to do that. Right. It, the word has been implanted in us so that we're like a first fruits of this new creation where everything is whole and beautiful that Jesus is bringing from heaven to the earth it's not just ethics it's, it's a matter of the heart only Christ can go there only Christ knows the heart we receive his word that saves our souls eagerly and submissively and joyfully even Thankfully, When we read a command like that, we don't try to run and defend ourselves. We say, okay, that must be the better way because I know who you are. So I'm going to trust you even though I can't, I can't do this. God, forgive me. God, help me. And then you, what normally happens is, is that 
as we lean into Christ and ask for forgiveness and for provision of righteousness, we end up obeying and we don't even realize it because God wouldn't have us be checking things off a list, right? He's not going to send you back into yourself. The self's been killed. It's just a tough animal. What is implanted in us is growing in us. That is what makes us doers instead of just hearers. We pick it up in 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doings. There, there's a kind of listening to the word that does not affect the heart and does not result in an obedient response. And Jesus, again, Jesus had already told us this. We learn things like this from the parable of the sower, right, and the different kinds of soils there are. James says that the person who claims to be in Christ and yet ignores or disregards as though they're forgetting what the Bible very clearly said by disobeying the plain words of the text is kidding themselves about their faith. Just stop right there, James would say. You're, you're kidding yourself. If, if you say you're part of the new creation and, and, and you, you believe the gospel and you follow Christ and yet you don't control your mouth or even try, you're... It's, you're kidding yourself. He's not saying you aren't saved, by the way. That's not where he goes here. Right? He's saying just you need to know how inconsistent that is. That's a person that's like a person who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Notice that adverb intently. They're not it's not just a glance, they look in the mirror. If you are a female, especially a teenage one, you know what it's like to look intently in the mirror. And I, I, I can tell by the silence that you're angry. And I would just say, I, I, you will make an entire household late over like mascara for something. So you know what it's like to look intently, intently in a mirror, right? Everybody now, all the ladies are mad. But that's... You got you got to loosen up on Sunday nights. You got to give me a little bit of laughter, all right? Because the room's empty and now everybody's mad. Don't be mad at me because you take long to get ready. That's not that's not my fault, right? Look intently at his face in a mirror. So that's what the person is like who doesn't follow the text. That one looking intently in the mirror. Notice that they want to know how they look. They want to know. So they look intently in a mirror. They're looking intently. Beloved, the wisdom that James gives us here is so important. Our natural willingness to know where we stand as people is a very committed thing. We want to know how we look, how we appear. But like those who look in a mirror and walk away literally forgetting what they saw, we refuse to let the Word speak the truth to us. We just refuse. I mean, I've... I've I'm just I'm just going to do what I want. I, I hear Christians say that. I've heard that here. From I remember it was just well, I'm going to do what I want. Okay, right. I'll just do what I want to do. I'll say what I want to say. That's no different than the person we would decry for being false with their faith, saying I'll live how I want. How's that different? We say to people like that, you don't know Jesus. If you would say, I'll live however I want, you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe Jesus, it's no different to say, I'll talk however I want. It's the same thing because the Bible addresses both. The one who says they're in Christ and talks how they want to or feel like, regardless of what they know the Word says, is a liberal when it comes to the Scripture. You changed it to suit yourself. That's what liberals do. That's what we accuse them of doing. James says we deceive ourselves when we do this. An intent look ought to have certain results. If you look in the mirror and you have broccoli in your teeth, you pick it out. Right? If you look in the mirror and your hair is messy, you brush it. Unless you're a teenage boy. Maybe that's why they get ready so fast. Because they don't care if they smell. Right? My son, I think I might have talked about this on a Wednesday night. He, he literally said the other day, 
He hates taking showers. He'll let all of Glendale know how much he hates to take a shower. And you ask him why, and he literally said at dinner, because it's a waste of time. The only thing that's different when I get out of the shower is I smell better. It's like that's worth your time. It, it really is. Like, like, trust me, as soon as the first young lady he finds genuinely attractive, his opinion on showers will change. That's usually what it takes for us boys. Well, I don't want to stink, so... The hearer of the word who is not a doer of the word is, is like that one that looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets because he or she too forgets at once what they were like in verse 24. You look into the word, the word reveals what you are and you walk away as though you didn't, as though it didn't tell us that. It didn't tell me that. I, I, I forgot what it said. How, how do we forget so quickly what the word says? This is important, beloved. Doing the Word concerns that which proceeds from faith, from the implanted Word. So it's not simply being a doer of the Word and not a hearer. is not simply doing the right things. And by that, we know that our faith is real. All of this is the result of verse 18. James is talking about what should be coming out of us because the Word that brought us to life has been implanted in us. So it, again, it, it doesn't result. The point is not that it results in the same good works that a person who denies Christ in the gospel can do of their own strength. This is something much different. If, if we understood how anti-human this passage is, that, that to be quick to hear and slow to speak, that, that's, that's insane to the world. To receive with meekness this word that when I look at it reveals me to be a sinner? To believe that that's what saves my soul, that I don't contribute to that in any way? If we could be made righteous by our works, beloved, then Christ died for no reason. Right? If all the cross does is put us in a position now to please God, then, then what, why is death necessary for that? Stop doing A and start doing B. Okay, now everything's fine. That's, that's not what Jesus is after. He's making an entirely new creation. And we're the first fruits of that. So it's got to be something otherworldly. The, the good works of the Christian are part of the new creation. They're not just little, you know, little moral things. It, it, it will include that, certainly. We aren't immoral people. That's not the argument here. But we're a new creation. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. To do the Word mainly is to believe it for the saving of our souls. That's what the Word is trying to do in us. Think of Jesus in John 6.40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Look at the end of verse 21 here. and You, you, you see that, which is able to save your souls. This Word does what it requires. We aren't saving our souls by doing things then. We're saved by the Word. And since we have been, we live like that's what has happened to us. But that isn't accomplishing salvation. We're saved by the Word and nothing else. When, when James is, What James is teaching is clear in verse 25, that the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, which, by the way, this is the gospel, the royal law, since the law finds its perfection and fulfillment in the person and work of Christ, one who looks into the life-giving Word of God in the gospel is like one who looks into a mirror to be informed of what they look like and adjusts themselves accordingly rather than taking it so little to heart that they immediately disregard what they saw with their own eyes this is the person that receives and believes the word they see and hear. Notice that. The gospel produces its fruit in us. Do you see that? Look intently into it and it will do its work. Don't forget what it says and it will do its work. Don't disregard what it says and it will do its work. What is the key to putting faith into practice in a way that pleases God? Beloved, literally to keep looking at and believing the gospel. 
keep staring at the implanted word, the word of truth, the law of liberty, the gospel that has set us free from sin and death. Keep staring intently into it, considering it, pondering it, focusing on it. It's going to grow in you. We grow by faith, not by sight. Right? So we, we aren't relying on seeing ourselves and changing accordingly. No, no, no. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are purified and we grow in Christ by looking into His Word. It's in here. We need to hear it from the preacher. We need to hear it from each other. That, that's You look as a Christian by hearing. The eyes of our hearts need to be enlightened. The law that grants freedom to people is the gospel that's been ratified by the blood of Jesus. This is what we've received when it was given to us in our new birth. And when we see how the, or the commands of how we're to live and refuse to obey them, what we're showing is that we're refusing to believe the gospel that made us righteous. This doesn't mean we have to take a class on the gospel or something. That's not what it is. It means if we go to the Word and walk away from it thinking either that we don't have to obey it or we're not going to obey it, or that we really do have the ability to obey it, that would be the equivalent of looking and then walking away forgetting what you look like. Because you honestly think as a person that you could fix what you saw wrong with yourself on your own. That's, that's not what Christ would have us look into the Word for. You, when you look into the Word, you find that you can't fix what's wrong with you. The, the, the problem is too deep. The cosmetic damage is too much. When we ignore what the Word tells us, we're no different walking out into our lives than the person who looks in a mirror and takes it so little to heart, they walk out into the day with who knows what's wrong with their face or their hair or whatever. When the Word is implanted, it grows into a life that lets others get a glimpse of what life in the new creation is going to be like. We need to keep our hearts focused on what Christ has done rather than ignoring His Word or by believing that we have in our own strength the ability or enough desire to actually keep it. If you look at the Word, that's not what you'd come away thinking. Now, how often have you heard the phrase, it's not a religion, it's a relationship? Probably all heard that. It's on t-shirts. I've said it as a preacher. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. That apparently is talking about looking intently into the mirror and forgets. When we say that, it's clear we're not reading James. Right? Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's how important the mouth is. That, that is an amazing sentence. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. When you meet somebody who talks however they want to talk and believes they're justified in it, their religion is worthless. Worthless. No worth. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. First of all, we need to know what is religion or what does it mean to be religious in James. I don't mean that in a condescending way like nobody here knows what religion is just so we understand the text better right for James religion is a confession we make before the one who is God and Father that's our religion since we received abundant good gifts from our Father in verse 17 and have been born again as his children in verse 18 our actions our religion ought to affect our identity In fact, how we live is our religion. In the Bible, religion is not a way to become right with a deity, but the way in which those whom God has brought to life in His Son worship Him in how they live. Primarily, primarily in how they speak. So for James, pure and undefiled religion, the real deal as the Bible defines it, has two aspects to it. And these certainly don't cover everything Christians are called to do are all the ways we worship God, but apparently these two things epitomize them. There's such a thing in the Bible as worthless religion. And what is the first primary mark of religion that is worthless? An unbridled tongue in verse 26. 
Beloved, the Word of God teaches that anyone who claims to be in Christ and to have His Word implanted in them has a worthless religion if they don't check their mouths. That doesn't necessarily... Again, the, the indictment is not here that you're not saved. It does mean, however, that you have no witness to Christ in your life and are doing nothing to show the righteousness of God in verse 20, which would be the point of the gospel. So it does push you to question yourself. And notice again how clear this is put forward as though it's an axiom that is just true. To have an unbridled tongue, which again, is, is we're not talking about cussing here. Okay, that's very easy to make the law doable and dumb it down. Just don't say bad words. To have an unbridled tongue, a mouth that says whatever it wants or whatever it feels and believes it's justified in it, is to simultaneously be deceiving oneself about the condition of his or her heart, period. Period. You, in other words, James is saying you need to run to Christ because if you can't control your tongue, and especially if you're not even willing to admit it's a problem, your religion is worthless. You had better run to Christ and address this because the life you're living has zero value and zero testimony to me, no matter what else you do or say. That's a massive indictment. A massive one. In James, in fact, that's the only thing James says shows a person's religion is worthless. An unbridled tongue. It's unreal. Worthless here means idle. It means empty, fruitless, useless, powerless. It lacks truth, right? The word is frequently used to describe the worthlessness of idolatry. In the Bible, in Acts 14, 15, the Lystrans uh, worshiping idols. This was called worthless idols. So James is saying that a religion characterized by uncontrolled talking and resulting self-deception is akin to idol worship. I, I think I offended a lot of people a couple months ago when we talked about patriotism. I'm not going to revisit it right now, but I, I, I implied that if, if you, you know, that there's a possibility for idolatry here, and a lot of people are offended by that, and it's, beloved, I have idols, you have idols. Right? And, and if talking however you want to talk is idol worship, that ought to let us know, oh, maybe, maybe I am an idolater. Like I thought it meant like I, I bow down to this statue or I pray and serve and, and worship this thing and it's my religion. And well, Beloved, all it means is that you look at the Word and ignore it. You're an idol worshiper. We need salvation. I, I don't worship idols. How much control do you have over your mouth? That's what James would ask. It's, it's not Notice, it's not struggling with sin and not being able to shake off the old man that makes one's religion worthless, is it? It's not what he says. It's, it's not people who don't read their Bibles enough or don't come to church enough or give enough or get involved enough. It's not people that, if somebody drinks or smokes, their religion is worthless. No, 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 no. It's people who refuse to get their mouths under control whose religion is worthless and more like idol worship than pure and undefiled religion. That's Bible. That reveals a heart that is wild and arrogant because at the most basic level, that one refuses to receive God's Word with meekness. God, not even God's going to tell me how to talk if I feel like I have the right to speak. The flip side of worthless religion is pure and undefiled religion in verse 27. And it's like this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Those are the two aspects of true religion for James. Assistance for orphans and widows and keeping oneself unstained from the world. That's, a, that's, very, that's strangely specific of all the things you could say. That type of religion, however, is a true confession before God. They believe the Word. Having received abundant good gifts from the Father in verse 17, having been born as His children in verse 18, the actions of Christians who are family reveal their identity. That leads to the two aspects of that confession, which again, these don't include all Christian actions, but apparently do epitomize them. The God revealed by the Old Testament, the one who saved us, is often described self-described, described by others as the protector of the fatherless and widows. 
That's who God is. So that's what His children are like. They're in the family business. Also, while we don't withdraw from secular society, we also don't conform to its standards. And he's going to get into this later in 4.4. Religion that is pure will come out in care for widows and orphans because God is a Savior of the needy. So we will always be bent towards those that are in need. Religion that is undefiled is a religion not tainted by the world either. The kingdom of darkness where people speak and do as they please is the world. Who do whatever they think is right. That's what the old creation is like. There's a whole lot of things we try to call good works without ever even considering whether we meet just the standard of verse 27. And, and just, just so we're clear, this means a lot more than what you put in the plate. right? My money goes to support... Uh, God doesn't need your money. He never has. It's so hilarious when people try to use this as a like a um, bargaining chip in the church. Well, you know, I I give a lot of money. God doesn't need it. Right? God doesn't need it. Let us all be laid open by the sword of God's word tonight, and let it be living and active in us. The Word of God by which we were born again has been implanted in us to make our faith in Christ grow so that our lives would be pure and undefiled before God and neighbor. Beloved, look to the Word that has been implanted in you by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Look at it intently. Look at it intently. It's able to save your soul. That's what it's already done. Receive this word, all of it. Not a person in the room that doesn't need to repent in light of this passage. Certainly including the preacher. He has not brought us to life to watch us squander it away and die. So take heart tonight, even as you realize that this word proves that you're a sinner. Beloved, when it does that, you can rest in knowing that the Spirit is in you. Come to Christ on the authority of the promise of His Word for grace, for healing, for righteousness, for all of you.